This episode of Making Games is Fun is with Alexis Trust. I went to speak with Alexis over at Attention Seekers, where they were working at the time. But the news is that Alexis has moved to Chucklefish. We get into that towards the end of the podcast and what it means to leave Attention Seekers to move on to Pastures New. Not that they're a stranger to that, because Alexis has had many, many roles, which we get into as well. Uh, The first one being that they joined the army from the age of 15. So yeah, Alexis has had a heck of a varied and very interesting career and life. Plenty of hard times, but also they've really come through all that and shown what an intelligent and strong character that they are. So it's cool to speak to Alexis and, and get their story. And just quickly... The Making Games is Fun Patreon has been relaunched and is live, or should be live right now by the time you're listening to this. The idea moving forward is to just get more frequent, give you more episodes, more stuff, and use Patreon to help me do that more often so that I don't have to look for other work at the expense of that. So I won't blather on. You can go and have a look at all the info at patreon.com forward slash M-G-I-F. Please go and have a, at least have a little look and a little read. Anyway, I will shut up and let you enjoy the latest episode of Making Games is Fun. So we, I, I grew up in a really horrible industrial town up in North Wales. Okay. Um, and my family was super poor. Uh, so I just to give some context to that my sisters used to share a single bed and do you remember those like really horrible pull out drawers that sit underneath them and they'd yes. like jar yeah. yeah so i used to sleep in that with like a, a quilt right. um and we didn't have a tv and things like that right, right so whilst i was in school and people were playing like the snares or the n64 or yeah. uh, gamecube like we just didn't have that it didn't exist um sure. so if i wanted to play games i had to go around to my friend's house yeah um eventually i think when the playstation 2 came out my that's when we got a playstation 1 so right yeah yeah because okay, yeah, it was yeah, much yeah. cheaper and then <clears throat> by that point as well it'd been i think maybe out for two three years mm. so when i uh, it's really difficult to kind of empathize with people when they're like oh i'm so nostalgic for this like lovely beautiful pixel thing from like 1992 or like in the 80s so yeah i see yeah yeah would, did it become a bit of an event when you'd go over to a friend's mm-hmm. and be like, oh, we get to play, like... I kind of feel sorry for my friends, actually, because there was a point where I would go around to... I remember a guy called Matthew Harrison from primary school. We'd go around to his place and be like, oh, so do you want to play outside in the swings? Like, no, let's, like, turn on your GameCube and <laughs> let let me ignore you for, like, three hours. And yeah. I played Paper Mario for hours and just didn't speak to him. <laughs> be like, you, got to tell, you can play on the swing, but I'm going to... yeah. I'll get you some progress on this, right? Like, it's doing them favour, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, what, Paper Mario would be one that you remember particularly? Or... Um, and Rayman as well, first one. So my si- when we did get a PlayStation, my sister, obviously that was the era of uh, passwords instead of memory cards. Yeah. Um, so there's a password, LOD TV47 VSP. So if you put that into... <laughs> If you put that into a PlayStation 1 copy of Rayman, you will get some somewhere. I don't know how far <laughs> kind of in progress. My, I think we couldn't find a pen at the time. So my sister was like, remember this. You have to remember it. So I was mm. like, okay. 
And <laughs> it's just burnt into your memory. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I've got three sisters and two brothers, and they're yeah. all older than me apart from my little brother. So it was always my job to like, just sit there and watch people play games mm. or when we did eventually get a console. My first job was in the army. Uh, and there's a lot of downtime there. People don't realize how much downtime there is. So we would play Call of Duty together or we would play Halo 2 or something along those lines. Um, that's kind of where that started just because it was, I'm not a big drinker. Um, so, And at the time I wasn't even legal to drink. So it made sense to go play games. Yeah. So was that something they'd set up or the army had set up or was that something? No, someone would have brought their console along with them. And everyone just like get stuck in and like, yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, so would that be online or would it be like? No, with the bun- like so it'd be daisy chain LAN like mini LAN events and. Um, that's, that's cool. LAN parties. Pretty much. Huh. Uh, I did a so I deployed in 2018 to Iraq, um, and I reached out to Graham Boyd of Xbox, um, and this was the first time I'd ever contacted him, never seen or met or even spoken online. Um, reached out to him and just explained, oh, we're, you know, we're out here, we're pretty bored. Is there anything you guys could do? Like, could you send could you send a game or something? Just because it's really difficult to get those things over here unless someone care packages them to us. Um, and then suddenly, maybe a month, two months later, we had 32 Xboxes shipped out, <laughs> 360s, with copies of Call of Duty, um, like just a, a series of games, but uh, mostly multiplayer. Uh, that we could land. So he'd obviously considered the fact that we don't, also don't have internet, which was lovely. I guess we need to roll back a little bit. And, and yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's all right. There's so much stuff to talk about. But um, let's talk about how you got in the army in the first place. So like, uh, so my mum was in the RAF and my dad was in the army. So it was a military family. Um, so it was kind of like, well, you're in the line of siblings it's your turn now what do you want to do do you want to go to uni well it's quite expensive so no you're probably going to go here yeah um and i remember at the time obviously playing a lot of shooting games and i don't care what anyone says it does glorify it and it does make you want to think about those their role in life and it's like the heroism and a sense of purpose and camaraderie as well um yeah especially if you're like you have fewer options and that uni's yeah. basically not an option, I, I would imagine, right? No, it definitely wasn't an option. It wasn't because I was, wasn't, was like, academically <clears throat> focused or... Because um, I was in, like, top sets for everything. I didn't do A-levels. I just left school and went straight to the army hmm. uh, as an intelligence specialist. Yeah, I mean, the limitations of, like, how graphics were in there at, uh-huh. at the time and obviously yeah. the foley there is all yeah. the generic explosion noises and things. So, like, that probably didn't help because obviously if I was to... I think if I was to play a game these days and mm. I probably wouldn't come away with those same feelings. No. So what do you think... So we can go into something slightly topical here and then, and then try and roll back. Um, so we'll put a pin in for a second in your career history um, and this gives me a chance to be topical. Um, recently there's been news about the new Call of Duty and about how um, they're looking to make it more realistic and they're going to sort of come back to that modern warfare modern warfare? Modern warfare one um, style of, of, of trying to say something about war and, and what have you and they're going to have these realistic situations basically as someone who's been in the army what do you think about whether they're able to do that artistically and whether they should 
I think it can be tackled, um, not necessarily within their history. They've never done it in a way that I personally feel that was respectful or realistic. Because okay. um, I look at I look at games like Spec Ops Online, for example, yeah. um, and they manage to tackle like PTSD and kind of the the other issues that come with being in a combat zone um, yeah. with respect, and it's quite. That that was an awkward game for me in so far that like this is too real, this is too close to the bone. Whereas I think with Call of Duty, obviously it's entertainment. Yeah, uh, that's the that's the front of their mind. It needs to always be interesting and engaging, and there's always going to be more explosions and it's it's yeah. difficult. Um, What's like with with no Russian, obviously skippable level. Um, but if you're going to put something mystery in front of a gamer they're going to want to have a look at that they don't know uh and their defense for that if i recall at the time was the fact that you can go through that level and not do anything you don't need to shoot civilians in an airport but the flip side to that is but you still need to witness this and you're never told that that's what you're going to witness there's no essentially there's no trigger warning beforehand you're Mm. not told yes i feel like the discussion around it was more for them to get out of it from a sort of legal and and public image perspective rather than like defending it as a, a yeah. artistic choice first and foremost it's like as long as we're not in the shit and, and you know and, and obviously with with major companies that's always going to be the first line isn't it like yeah. that's just how that stuff works right but not that that's good but um so i guess you would if you compare like two different scenes you've got um, I haven't. I, I know everything. Well, everything. I know a lot about um, Spec Ops Online and, and the fact that it, it's dealing more with um, the key scenes are dealing more with PTSD and more of the human impact. Um, whereas, like, I guess people would argue the most effective scene in COD was the, and I'm not going to remember the name of the type of bombing plane, but the drone bombing. The, the the level where you have to yeah do the and it's like a, night vision style yeah AC one thirty shooting down that's the fella yeah that's the fella um and you and it's meant to be chilling and and what have you and this kind of thing and but obviously I mean it, that it, won't necessarily come across to everybody no I don't think it translates properly because like satire it's only ever going to be taken from the perspective of the person looking at it so mm. satire is really difficult to pass if you're not already aware of like the context of which they're they've based that part of the game from so yeah because obviously as you're pummeling down on the people and you're not even sure that they're bad guys until Hmm. um the only reason you know that they're bad guys um is because you can see sort of like flashes of light and they're interacting with uh your team which are on the ground Hmm. uh and it's still because you, you, you've kind of got those voices in the background going, yeah, get some, yeah, nice hit, da, 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 in the background. Yeah. And it's supposed to be kind of like tongue-in-cheek almost, but I think a lot of people still... And I mean, the rest of the game is very like, oorah, soldier, good job. <clears throat> yes. And out it, it, like inside the rest of the context of the game, it it's kind of like, mm. oh, this is bad, but also we're going to profit from it. Is it kind of lip service? To like, oh, and of course, sometimes it can be tough, but uh, you've got to do it. And well, th- th- I think that's a huge difference between COD and Spec Ops Online is that obviously Spec Ops deals with the aftermath of what just happened um, and takes that real human element, whereas I think games like Call of Duty really struggle to 
get that across because they're not dealing with like the mental breakdown. They're not dealing with like Hellblade style like levels of trauma because they're not talking about trauma. They're talking about very like impacts of trauma. Mm. They're talking about the trauma that's happening there and then rather than what happened afterwards. What, What does this mean? What about all those soldiers that you, you've just been serving with? What does that mean in a wider context? And they will never touch that because that's not interesting to their player base. Um, but it's, and I mean, there is an audience for it. Spec Ops, I mean, I don't know actually, don't know how well it did or if it did well at all, but... Yeah, I think it was kind of a, a cult hit, shall we say? Yeah, um, but it, do, it, it does show there is a, an audience there for it. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, that's... So yeah, I, I, that's kind of answered my question on the... Uh, this this new cod like they've got this kind of you know what's going to be these situations are going to be super real and stuff and 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 it's going to be you know i think there's so there was one that is um based in london it's like an attack in london and you have to go in to a a house and and deal with that i mean they've they've already they did that didn't they um yeah so they've already done that it had a basically you see I might not be 100% correct here, but you see a child skipping along either like on a bike or like holding a balloon or something, and then the back of a van just explodes and the child dies. And that's right. the first time that they kind of experimented with like um, right. you as a viewer watching like civilian deaths right in front of you outside of No Russian. Right, so okay. So they have already done it. It's just, and because they've already done it, they're always trying to like up the ante. It's like, okay, what should we do next? Let's blow up the yeah. Eiffel Tower <laughs> and kill all these tourists. And yeah. Like, so they're always going to keep trying to figure out how to do that and it's like yeah the, the, reskinning <laughs> yeah reskinning tragedy right yeah essentially <laughs> it's it's yeah they, they, it's like they have the wrong handle on it because they're thinking how can we use more tech and budget to do sad war stories but sad war stories with big explosions and, and drama yeah. and it's like well you, you're still dropping it in the realm of film and, and Hollywood if you do that. I I actually didn't realise um, until Simon Parkin wrote that brilliant article years and years ago um, that if you were to buy a Call of Duty game, you are essentially funding the arms industry Yeah. because of the licences that they would have to purchase yeah. to have their guns in those to games. The authentic guns. Um, it's just that... that blew my mind at the time because um, I remember doing a Guardian panel with him uh, and Ed Stern and another chap and it was it was interesting seeing their perspective on it um, but I didn't realise until I sat down next to him and we were talking about like morality and video games and um, the military and what it means to be in those spaces and also consume the media that surrounds it mm. um, and I've never ever bought a video. I've never bought a COD game since I heard about that. I've always been gifted them, but never bought one since I heard that. Yeah, it makes me extremely uncomfortable. Mm. And uh, it makes other people go oh and bristle a little bit, but they'll still go out and buy it because they don't necessarily understand the impact of what that means. Sure. Yeah. Outside of like maybe watching the news or like watching films and things like that. Mm. Like, uh, funding the arms industry is bad, but I still want to play this game. For me, it's like funding the arms industry is bad. I'm never going to pick up that game ever again. So you were in the army for how long? Uh, three and a half years and I slipped a disc. Right. Uh, so I came home and I lay on my bed all day playing COD. <laughs> 
Yeah. Just, so how did that happen? Like, uh, I was actually on a speedboat and essentially it kind of caught air and slammed down onto the wave. And as it slammed down, my vertebrae sort of like clicked into place, and one of them just sort of like it felt like um like a being stabbed in the back almost. I can't really explain it. Like human minds are obviously built not to remember pain because otherwise you wouldn't go and do things in your life but this is like like my teeth are it feels like i'm chewing foil just talking about it like i'm getting a very visceral reaction just thinking about my back so i slipped a disc and i went back home and played a lot of video games i didn't have anything else to do i couldn't like um i couldn't claim benefits at the time right uh, because I hadn't something, I don't, I don't know, I just couldn't play claim benefits. I couldn't look for a job either because I was sick. Um, mm. I was really lazy, I was depressed. Um, all, all the things that come with depression, basically. Um, uh-huh. Didn't leave the house, uh, but I had to go back to live with my mum. And she kind of came in one day and unplugged my 360 and was like oh you'll never get a job playing video games all day get out and like took the power brick away and oh i mean i went and bought a new one but she took the power brick away and just threw it in the bin oh god right okay yeah uh i mean but, pres- i mean i'm guessing you didn't go oh in that case i'll get up immediately and start looking for work you- no it was more <laughs> just like a um like my mum's my quite terrifying so i won't uh, well she was at the time she's kind of mellowed in her age sure um so at the time I wasn't like protesting and I knew she was right obviously I'm just wasting my life sat there I sat there lying down playing video games getting like literal bed sores um, but it was just COD constantly uh, didn't play anything else if I did it was testing out another shooter maybe like Battlefield Bad Company 2 or something along those lines but it would I didn't stray away from that because that was what was comfortable for me and what I knew yeah. and it meant that I could go online and speak to people that were friends of mine I didn't easily leave the house so how did you make a, a shift from um like being in a house every day to like what was what what made that sort of initial shift to to moving out of that routine well because of cod i joined um a call of duty company company uh call of duty website uh who ran like competitive games um called wgl uh, and spoke to a lot of the admins there. Um, they were really lovely, very supportive. Um, still play games with them occasionally these days. Uh, have worked with them since. Essentially decided that I, d- I didn't even know that community management was a, a role. I didn't know understand what it was um, until I, I think I went to Eurogamer Expo and it was either Holly Bennett or or Sarah Wellock, it was one of the two ladies, but I saw them on the stage and they were giving a talk and I was like, oh, what did they do? Are they a developer? And someone was like, no, that's a community manager for such and such company. I think Sarah was at Rocksteady at the time and Holly had just, she was still a midwife um, and she had just transitioned because she was doing Destructoid stuff, uh, Destructoid UK on the side. Okay, yeah. Um, I didn't know community management was a thing, so I was like, okay, I'm going to take away something from this. Maybe this is something I can do at WGL. It feels like I'm doing it already because I'm, like, adminning games, dealing with tickets, things like that, Uh, talking to people, organising just, like, fun tournaments and stuff. I didn't realise I was doing it until I saw that, actually, no, there's people that do this for a living. This is insane. Uh, So I did that for, essentially, for free for two years whilst I was, like, 
uh, out of the army as well. Um, all the while not being able to get a job, my kind of saving grace was being able to go to that community and talk to them and like, and I got ridiculously good at COD because that's all I was doing all day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we started competing, so that was fun, like competing properly for money and okay. turning up to lands and things. Um, and it was it was kind of odd because I was one of the only sort of at the time female presenting people in that space uh and there was maybe like three of us on the website if that so i remember in my mind at the time because uh, i all my hobbies growing up have been like i like video games oh i like i play warhammer i like to mess about with tiny tiny plastic men and <laughs> yeah. all these hobbies and circles that i was always in and the army as well particularly or like very male-centric circles of course yeah yeah um and that's kind of like at that time i remember thinking hmm am i am, am i like a dude in a woman's body right, right yeah. <laughs> like am, am i doing this right but actually it was a case of like gatekeep gatekeeping and like trying to figure out what that meant as well um it's bizarre so do you think um was that the first time we started going to these professional lands and um professional lands <laughs> oh they were anything such but an old man they were not professional, well, professional lands. Um, crawling underneath tables like trying yeah. to get things plugged in yeah let's just make it work however like it works pizza boxes stacked up taller than like me <laughs> um um so do you think someone was seeing like holly on stage as well that was super helpful yeah that was really helpful honestly yeah just having somebody show showcase kind of what the industry can do if you're not a technical developer you're not like a you're not a programmer you're not somebody that's making like yeah. art as well or if you're not male if you don't present as male as of well of course yeah yeah 100 yeah. percent. i remember thinking wow she's really loud and <laughs> slightly like insane but also this is incredible what, what's going on <laughs> I'm sure she'll appreciate that. Oh, I've told her <laughs> since. <laughs> Had you thought about it previously that it's is this uh, the, the the sort of notion that it was? Well, I mean, still is like a, a male-dominated space. Uh, very much so, hundred percent. Like yeah. um, even with WGL and having the back, uh, the admins have my back. Um, uh -huh. There was a ton of sexism, just even just in that I say small community it was like three hundred thousand people. Um, mm. Eventually, it it comes with its own problems, and I, some sometimes I even think actually it was kind of less toxic then than it is now because huh. there were less spaces to kind of um, like we would never sit in a a chat room and talk about politics, for example, uh, which can obviously flare up arguments discussions and even like thoughtful discussions but um that often comes into people's conversations especially when it comes about uh, becomes about games these days um yeah but even then it was like uh i had <laughs> forgive me for saying this i had one chap send me a video of him um just wanking to a picture of me and send, sending it to me over wgl um okay. i had when i was running physical lands um, at Insomnia, I had one guy message me saying he was going to find me in the parking lot, kill me, rape me, um, and I would show this to employers at the time, and they'd just be like, "Oh, it's fine, don't worry about it." 
and it's like no this is genuinely like something that bothers me I don't feel like I can come to this work like I don't feel like I'm going to be safe in my own workspace and they're like oh it's all right you'll have people around you all the time it's like that's the problem people will be around me all the time I don't know who they are yeah uh I guess yeah when we say it wasn't as toxic maybe it's just it wasn't being challenged as openly so there so there was fewer yeah uh from the perspective of of the of the toxic people fewer fewer times where they felt the need to defend their actions so it so mm -hmm. that that um clash occurred less often so it seemed less of a problem because it was less out on the open i think i mean it helps that there was a lot less people on twitter at the time so i could just interact with my community and they would hopefully respect me in that space um because there would be times when with former employers especially when i'd have community members interact with me on spaces that weren't their platforms and they would essentially say oh well it didn't happen on our website so there's not really much we can do about it it's like but i have to interact and be friendly to this person and i know it was them like that's that's uncomfortable for me i can't do this yeah mm. especially, especially that reaction and again i don't know it's very hands-off really hands-off yeah i don't know how much better it's gotten to be honest but yeah even then that just just to hear that sort of response like oh well that's fine yeah it's, it's like it, i wasn't asking you whether it was fine i was telling you it's not and, and it could i think my point is that it's not just like the fans themselves or like the, those little those small angry group that are quite vocal it's also yeah. employers just kind of ignoring it and batting it off yeah um yeah. There's, there's been plenty of those sort of situations i think um do you remember the one reason why hashtag yes it was, a, it was a long time ago maybe like eight years ago um was it really yeah it was a long long time ago I've, it may have been revived since right okay okay but um i remember writing one out about a certain individual in games who had um essentially i i went to see joe twist her talk on a panel and she's incredible she's powerhouse of a woman again someone like that running a our trade body is incredible and like she's really personable she's helped me out personally as well um just always open to hearing people uh, but i'd never spoken to her before and i'd never actually seen her talk uh and her panel panel member she started talking about sexism in the industry and he started rolling his eyes and started like loudly sighing and be like this isn't a real thing and just shut her down completely and wouldn't listen and I remember sat, being sat there like, oh, this is, I'm glad it's not, in a weird way, I'm glad it's not just me that's having these conversations and having people go, this isn't real, what are you talking about? But that guy owns a studio in the UK and is fairly powerful and there's nothing you can say about it. And I remember doing a one reason why kind of thing. Like, oh, I watched this guy just shut down Joe Twist and it wasn't fun. Uh, but also it was quite validating in, from my perspective and silly planes <laughs> we've got a plane but i think we'll just keep going we'll <laughs> talk over the plane that's fine um yeah and i remember pointing a one one reason why out basically so saying this isn't fair someone else went through this and i didn't name any names in it um and i had my employer at the time saying it's all well and good that you can talk about you know you shouldn't feel like you can't talk about like feminism and sexism online but you're now represented this company so if you could not do that because it'll put people off sales and then, yeah, this is a, for, I, that, and I mean, that was my first red flag and I should have 
figured it out because later on they're the same people that were like oh rape threats are fine you'll be fine don't worry about it um they asked me to take the word feminist out of my twitter bio it'll affect sales it'll affect sales that was yeah a long long time ago thankfully no one's asked me to do that since yeah it's still i think it's still there i think it's just being pushed underground and like you get in this tangentially related but you're getting all these these comments by um major devs now by spokespeople for major companies coming out about games coming out soon that are you know based in conflict political war conflicts and going yep uh just so but there's no this is an apolitical game <laughs> just so everyone knows and you go no it's not mate it's not it's really it's obviously not but they're going but you know we we don't want to push one agenda over another and this kind of thing and it's like it's just so it's and at the heart of it it's the same principle yeah. as what you've just been talking about really isn't it it's just this kind of um don't rock the boat because actually the primary concern for anything is money mm -hmm. so let's talk about how did you get from um the call of duty competitive community to the sega qa job okay <laughs> so just uh doing a callback right now mm -hmm. when my mother ripped out the power cable for mm -hmm. my 360 yep. she said you'll never get a job playing video games uh and that stuck with me and i was determined to get a job playing video games sure. um so i'd kind of I'd, so i'd come down for egx i met a bunch of people I actually met holly we went for um this is my first EGX still, so seeing her on stage and actually meeting her was really lovely. Um, and kind of uh, like people that have been around for a long time, uh, Ben Bateman and uh, the old guard, I guess, uh -huh. of like community management at least. Um, and they were very, very lovely and kind of gave me hints and tips and said, these, these websites exist, you can be doing this. So that's where WGL happened. Um, so I kept coming back to London and I was there. Mm, every six months or so um just trying to like sniff around for a job being quite lechy i'm not gonna lie like <laughs> like hey have you got any positions going kind of thing and just being very very pushy about it and saying okay here's and, and using wgl as a platform to uh, get experience and that's essentially what i did so i was still doing wgl whilst i was at sega so during breaks i would log in and make sure everybody's okay and stuff was going to plan and then at night i would continue doing my call g stuff um now, I don't know if you know much about QA, but at the time it was like on zero contract. Um, so you couldn't yeah. get a house, you couldn't like go rent anywhere because it's not a stable income and you're not technically, at the time it wasn't classed as like full-time employment, so no one was gonna let you live anywhere. So I moved down uh, and slept on friends' couches essentially. It was like hidden homeless. Because uh, I knew I was never gonna be able to break into the games industry while I was in crappy industrial town in North Wales. Sure. It made sense to come down and try try my best, and I had I was very very lucky that I had a lot of friends that would help support me in terms of like couches to sleep on, even food. Um, so I applied everywhere, and eventually um, Sega got back in touch with me and said, uh, "Oh, sorry, a friend of mine had said, oh, there's some I've just started QA here, like the the hiring like crazy because they've got three games that are coming out right now." Um, I'm going to put your name forward if you're okay for it. And I was like, yeah, God, that sounds amazing. And I didn't really understand the, what QA was at the time other than, like, you play games and you try and break them. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, get paid to play games. Pretty much. Like, I was like, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> um, 
So when I, I when I got there, I, I remember emailing saying like, I can't come in for an interview at this time. It has to be like post six o'clock because some, something was happening. And they were like, yeah, no worries. Uh, so I got there and I spoke to the, uh, the QA lead for maybe 10 minutes. And he was like, do you play video games? Yes. Do you, do you, do you play PC? And I was like, yes, I have a PC, I guess. Like lying through my teeth I didn't have any console I didn't okay. ha I just had like the clothes on my back and like a backpack at like my friend's house that was it it's like do you play video games often yeah every night oh definitely I play games all the time and I didn't I just didn't have the time didn't have like the resource to yeah um and he was like cool you've got a job and I was like awesome and <laughs> I started probably like two days later uh, I later learned that a lot of other people had to do like a QA test and they'd sit there for like three hours and they'd have to like fill out forms and uh, write bug reports and things like that. So I just kind of like skipped all of that and I felt very lucky. And yeah. I, I think it actually was because I did community management for WGL because I was like, this is what I do in my spare time. Because um, they were after QA for alien colonial marines and they were like, Call of Duty, Alien Colonial Marines. Those are both shooters. That mm -hmm. should be fine. They'll be good. <laughs> right, right. Like, yeah, let's, yep, you're hired. And they couldn't be, I think it was like a part laziness as well. And to be fair, I did really well at QA because um, you can use software to figure out like hmm. how well you're doing essentially in terms oh, okay. of like tracking how many bugs you're putting in, like how effective your workplace is and things like that. Yeah. So I was always quite competitive with it. So just, and you had to be to make sure that you weren't zeroed. But my first paycheck that I got, um, I took a picture of it and sent it to my mom. And I was like, I just quoted under it, never get a job playing video games, eh? <laughs> and she didn't respond, but I still hold that <laughs> over. She didn't even be like, fair dues. She was just like, no, nothing. Um, I didn't stay there for very long, though. Um, what did she think about it now? Uh, she still didn't understand it. Um, I actually recently gave her my 360 and all of my games and I've put them in her front room and I've uh so Rami um he's been playing games with his mum um yes. and documenting it and it's been like a lovely little journey and I, I absolutely love those um just the, the connection they've got together and mm. um his observations of how people like gaming literacy like we see a red barrel and we're like that can explode and mm. obviously for other people they don't necessarily understand that yeah yeah so i thought oh i could do that with my mom and she looked at it and she's like i'm never gonna touch that so <laughs> i tried yeah yeah she doesn't understand what i do um because my older sister is like teacher um the other one is like unemployed and kind of a bit disabled so she's like very very proud of what i'm doing but doesn't mm. get it right yeah uh, and it took a long time for her to like just be proud of it she kind of thought i sat around playing games all day for a long time it's a, yeah and it's 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 a it's kind of a very modern industry and a modern role and and compared to what even like our parents or their parents would, would do and it's yes yeah. there's just no there's just nothing to even compare it to and go oh, it's a bit like doing this or doing that it's just no real you know I did, I, yeah. There's no one-to-one -one for them to go, oh, I get it, yeah. Oh, it's a bit like that. So you can't really, you explain it and they'll just go, right? People so do that? What? Why would they need, you know? Yeah. So I can, I always think I can sort of see that, but yeah, I don't know. They understand that gaming exists, but they don't, in their head, they don't classify it as pop culture. And they mm. should, but they don't. And and that, that sort of um, lack of knowledge that... It, they're an effort to make and they require loads and loads of people and loads and loads of 
skill and loads and loads of work and 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 this sort of giant collaboration because it's just like but it's just a game it's just a, a dick about yeah thing right yeah it's a kid's thing like anyone can put those together and but I, I can't because I'm too old now and can't learn blah, blah, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So can we talk about your moving from so you're at Xbox and then you came out of there and went freelance can we talk about why and what happened there sure um so as a senior community manager at Xbox at the time uh, it was through an agency but it was their only agency um okay so I actually went from emailing Graham Boyd hi can we have an Xbox please to working with him day to day which is quite nice uh although he was based in Reading but a lot of communication uh, it was during the period of the Xbox One launch, which at the time was really heavy. It was a lot. Um, it was quite full on. Uh, a, a lot of people, if you were around in that era, remember PlayStation punching some real heavy blows uh, into anything Xbox would do. Um, it was it was really odd actually because we had um, so whenever we take like sentiment samples, for example. Um, especially during, I want to say E3, or Gamescom, I can't remember, sorry. Um, essentially when it was, some of their features were announced, um, we took sentiment samples and people really loved what was happening with the Xbox, but the press were slamming it. And then Sony would come out and people had like mixed reactions to the, X, uh, to the PlayStation in comparison to the Xbox. And the press were like, they've won, this is amazing. And it was so like... But this is not what our data says. Like the 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 general consumer actually is very excited for Xbox, and this was like the peak fanboyism when, like, yeah. you like Xbox, oh you're the worst. Oh you play PlayStation, you're clearly just a fucking idiot. Like, you're on the wrong platform, my friend. You like the wrong things. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, that was a tough era. Like we, um, so Xbox announced that they were decreasing the territories, the launch territories from like 20, I want to say 28 or 21, I can't remember, uh, down into 13 territories. And the way that they wanted to talk about that was they'd announce it publicly and they would uh, go through Major Nelson's blog. So I wrote Ma Major Nelson's blog. I <laughs> was a 20, I was like 23, I was 23 year old pretending to be a 50 year old dude like it was i don't know how old he is sorry larry um so how long did you do that for um not very long actually only two three months so it was during uh like critical period for them for launch um and then i had to leave i got um essentially i was diagnosed with cancer and i had to leave uh i couldn't stay down in london so i moved back up with my mum for a little bit Right, okay. Um, and I thought, at the time, like, oh, this is terrible, um, but it'll, I'll get through it, it'll be okay. And then every appointment I went to, because Welsh, Welsh NHS is a lot better than English NHS. Okay. Um, simply because the population's a lot lower, and there's more resource. Yeah, as a result. Okay, yeah, um, so it was a good move in that sense, but I thought I would be okay um, at the time. And the... The more I was told about what was going on, the less likely, or the, the 
less I was feeling confident about being able to push past this and be okay. Uh, so there was a point where I was like, no, I'm just going to die now. Like, this is this is it. Like, they hadn't explicitly said, oh, you've got six months or anything like that. But they were very, like, heavy-handed with how they were talking about my time on, on the earth. They were like, if you've got things that you need to sort out, maybe now is the time yeah. and things like that. Like, okay. so it wasn't like, you're going to die. It was very much like implied you're going to die yeah, so it's like, just to check have you got this this and this right yeah yeah so and you're like why yeah i mean i already had like a, a will written from the army because you're meant to write one anyway of course yeah not that i had much to give away so like i bequeath my xbox 360 to my older sister who will never play it um it was yeah it was horrible it was weird um i didn't really know what to do myself just played a lot of games again. Um, turned to Binding of Isaac. Moved away from shooters and just played so much Binding of Isaac. Oh, really? Yeah. It must be such a full stop on your life, or such a, mm-hmm. or roadblock, I guess. Or even, well, I guess, the way you were looking at it, probably a full stop, right? You're just getting on with stuff, and then it's just like. Yeah, I mean, at the time, it it also felt like an opportunity to do things that I'd never done before, right. which was nice. So I was like, I've never, I never got the chance to go to university. Let's go to university. Uh, so I enrolled and did a business degree and a marketing degree. I was like, mm, I, I didn't know I was going to last that long at the time. So I was like, I don't need to pay this back. So this is a good opportunity. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Um, and obviously people listening can't see me, but I'm pretty covered in tattoos. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like, I'm going to get my hands tattooed. If I'm going to die, I'm going to go looking like with pretty hands. Uh, I'm going to get me some job stoppers. Uh, and just got a ridiculous amount of tattoos, which I shouldn't have at the time because I was going through like uh, just all the therapy stuff, essentially. <laughs> and your your immune system just dies. Oh, God, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's when you got your first tattoos? Um, 21 was my first tattoo. So we're talking... Oh God, I don't know. Ba- basically, like, just got the more obvious ones that were kind of like on show. Okay. So I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I, I like it. I'm. Who cares? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. So that's how this happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of strangely emboldening as well. Yeah, a little um, bit. Um, to an extent. Mm-hmm. Just it was just kind of like a series of like unfortunate things that were happening. I was gonna say events. Yeah. Things that were happening. Um. I always felt like. God, you should be dead already. Like, um, lots like a couple of years later, I got hit by a bus and like um, have a taxi so I can just walk around and just collapse to the floor, for example. Like, just a medical mess. I shouldn't be here, kind of thing. Right. So I, I held that very dearly. Like, I'm probably going to be dead by the time I'm thirty. Um, and like, when you get into that kind of thought, like mindset, yeah. it, it's really difficult to push off. Um, so just actually going back to uh, the panel I did with Simon Parkin, Ed Stone was on that panel. Uh, I had never met him before. Um, he's a brilliantly talented writer, works for Splash Damage right now. Uh, I think he was there then as well. Uh, but he's a huge history buff, just wonderful human being. And he kind of sensed something wasn't quite right while I was there um, and reached out and we we've kind of been friends ever since. But... Um, I felt like I didn't really have anything to lose by being very honest and saying like I don't think I should be here like something's like I keep getting hit by all sorts of like sicknesses and like bad stuff just keeps happening like I was I a bad person in a former life blah 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 like I'm not very spiritual but 
Yeah, you're trying to find a, a, a reason behind it or yeah, a, yeah, something to like half joking you. almost. Yeah, yeah. So he he was extremely supportive. He knew that like I was like uh, I I had stated I'm probably going to be dead before I'm thirty, and he was like, no, no, you have a lot of like talent. You can do this. Like, uh, but so chatting with him gave you a bit of a perspective on on just thinking well you know don't if that is or isn't true like don't spend your time just waiting for it and yeah because we could all end up just spending our time waiting for it right whenever that whenever the end might be but yeah pretty much um i knew i felt like i couldn't get back into the industry as well so once i came out i was struggling so much to get back in and I felt, I mean, you, you kind of internalize that as well, kind of like you don't want to, you don't want to get in a job doing something that's relatively important, not just to you, but to fans, to people around you, um, and then have to ditch them and let them down. And you don't, and in the same vein, you don't want to get close to people, you don't want to make friends because you're kind of like, you're essentially in a grenade. You're going to pop at some point, so you, you sort of shut people off. You don't want to talk to folks. So I knew I wanted to go back into games, but I also knew probably not going to so I ended up working for uh, whilst I was doing the degree I ended up working part-time for an agency up in Liverpool uh, so work with like a bunch of non-endemics like Kingspan who make um, like f- fabrication materials um, so they probably built this building that we're sat in at the moment like they, they service most of the world basically uh, and Harrods of all people and because I was very tattooed they would not let me in <laughs> <laughs> I went for a meeting and it was a. Uh, they were like, "No, you you're, you don't belong here." It's like I do. I'm working here. I've got all your emails. Please let me in. It took an hour to get in. <laughs> oh my God. So for my last year of university, I needed to do, um, I think it was like two months in industry. doesn't matter where you went, just as long as you had somewhere to go. And I was due to go to a company uh, and basically back into games uh, to a double A slash triple A kind of studio. I used to go there and my ex-boss kind of caught wind that I was trying to go back into industry. And he rang up this company and was like, don't hire this person, they're terrible, blah, 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 uh, and did something extremely illegal. Um, so they just stopped responding to emails from me and they stopped responding to emails from my university. But it meant, um, so just to be clear, I do not have a degree because I didn't complete my uh, like work experience to in order okay. to get it. Right. So if I was to, if I wanted to go complete my degree, I would have to redo that entire year and the work experience at the end. So this person like, stop me from like stop me from getting a job stop me from completing my degree like it's insane <sighs> yeah so i kind of needlessly petty and yeah like i hadn't worked for them for maybe like eight years at this point as well so i was like this is insane you've you're an actual psychopath that's that's a shock a shock and a half right but why are you still to be clear this is the same company that was like take feminist out your bio oh rape threats are fine da 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 yeah it's all all yeah it's all adding up right right? yeah um because i'm quite vocal 
especially these days, if there's anything going wrong or if I think that there's some foul play somewhere, I'll be the first person to be like, mm. or I'll try to be the first person to say, like, this isn't fair, why are you doing this? Because I would never, ever, ever want anyone to go through anything that I did, especially when it comes to, like, crappy bosses or mm. sexism in the workplace yeah. or anything like that. It's awful. Like, yeah. I want to make it a better place for someone else. So mm. for for someone else to block me off I would never want that to happen to someone else I'll always try and help people get jobs and things Ugh. but yeah it means I don't have a degree and I basically messaged uh, my old boss at WGL and said look this is this is a thing that's happened can you help can you can I do my work experience here and he was like I can't get you in for this month because at this point it had already kind of lapsed almost um, which meant I failed because it wasn't within the time constraints that the university needed. I can't get you in for this month, but how about you come in and do two months anyway? Um, so I started working as a student. Um, it was a bit dodgy. I was there as a student, but not uh, not be, like I couldn't complete my degree at this point anyway. So I was like, well, I'll just use this as a, a gateway. Uh, so I worked there and I wrote some white papers. Um, had a really nice time, people were lovely. Um, and then I was like, right, the two months is done. What should I do now? And kind of twiddled my thumbs for a little bit. And then uh, weirdly, um, at this point, I was kind of like, again, I've been depressed through this whole area, um, or whole section. Um, so I was like, oh, I, I really just don't know what to do with my life right now because I can't get a job because this guy is being quite petty. Um, I don't have a degree. Uh, if I want to go do a degree, I have to go spend another nine grand trying to do that year again. Like, yep. Uh, in my head I'm like still kind of slowly trying to get out of that mindset of like gonna die gonna die um, I just I've played a lot of video games trying to ignore everything that was going on I was gonna say how do you like just uh, handle all that and, and 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 find a way to like keep moving if, if even possible you know and and, and you know, I've I've spoken about like the kind of double-edged sword of using games to like deal with stuff like that, and and I, my opinion is that the they're useful to a point. Yeah, they are. Yeah. But it's very easy to tip over and make it a crutch or vice that then becomes counterproductive. I think. Yeah, for sure, hundred <laughs> uh, percent. Um, I played a lot of Binding Isaac tons of Binding of Isaac mm. um, which is a game that you can just keep playing and playing and playing because obviously it's a roguelike and yeah. it's generated procedurally so it's different every time uh, and I got very good at it <laughs> um, which I you'd expect really if you play put over a thousand hours into something <laughs> yeah 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 um, I don't know I've played the shit out of that game from, and got nothing as a result other than the fact that I enjoy the game still. I can still play it and yeah. not get bored of it. Do you uh, think there's a comfort in having a, a, such a competency at something, at a game, just that you're like, I'm, it, when I'm in this space, I'm really good at it, I know what I'm doing, and I can order it exactly how I want because I have that ability. Yeah, it's a sense of accomplishment as well because uh -huh. you're like, ah, I remember the thing that, you know, if I go down this corridor and I do, you know, do this series of actions in a specific way that's a secret, yeah. because I'm in the know, I've accomplished something and um, I'm doing something with my day that isn't, I, I need that kind of like 
I don't know, mental sort of like, yeah, you did this, good job. Yeah. Like, and that starts to wear away, I think. Yeah. Like years ago, I spoke to um, Aubrey Hesselgren, um, who is currently, mo- well, as of today, the day we are speaking, is moving over to um, Valve. He's going to live in America. Ooh. Um, and when I spoke to him, it's the same, he's leaving the flat now that I spoke to him in, like, in, in season two. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, he was, um, he spoke about how um, when he had a breakdown and he went back and lived with his parents um, and they lived in a rural place and the first thing they got him to do was like start mucking out the horses and it just gave him a reason to get out of bed and, and do something right yeah and, and and then from there just build back up but um we sort of established that control was a big um just a big factor in his life and and, and the fact that he 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 like built control systems and, and ui systems and stuff and he liked that feeling so he, he got a, like a big sense of satisfaction out of that and being able to control something mm-hmm. when there's a lot of stuff in your life you can't control if there's something you can without without surprises completely control because you know exactly what you're doing you know and you know all the rules and and, and nothing's gonna be well i guess with something like binding of isaac it's always different but you are, at the same time you're prepared to deal with the what's going to happen yeah yeah for sure and maybe i, I don't know. know if that's thinking about it too no no i, I guess because but the, the rules are always changing in Isaac because if you do one thing, then it knocks on for the the rest of it. Uh-huh. So it's about taking that and dealing with what you've got in front of you or utilising the, um, the equipment that you've been giving. Something that a lot of even like professional like professional streamers say whenever they're playing Isaac is basically there's a, there's a thing called a seam. Um, essentially, you can play the game until it allow- gives you the right set of equipment and factors for you to win. So if you can just get through that shitty period, then there's going to be a good thing right at the end. And I mean, they don't always win their runs and you might die, but like more often than not, you're going to you're going to be triumphant towards the end. You just deal with the rubbish stuff at the beginning. Yeah. And sometimes you're set up to just you, you you go into the game and you've got the equipment that you need immediately. And it's like, oh, cool. Like this, this is a lot easier than last time. Um, and it's easy to compare those two things because you can just go off one run, one run to the next and I wonder if anyone's made a game, made a roguelike about privilege, because you could absolutely play that into a game about privilege, right? Weirdly, I was just thinking that because yeah. <laughs> yeah, you you know you come in, you're born into the game with your with a good set of uh, items. You've got good rules yeah. uh, in place. Your equipment's great. Um, you're not being given the terrible bosses that are much more difficult. Like yeah. 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 Uh, and you start as different characters as well, obviously. So some of them are set up to be uh-huh. a lot easier to play than the others. Uh-huh. Some of them have like a better long game. Some of them have a better short game. So yeah, I, Binding of Isaac is about privilege. Yeah. <laughs> and if it's not, we need to run away very quickly and start making that game before anyone else beats us to it. For sure. So in your characteristic style now we're about to move move on again yeah someone new yeah so where, where, you, where are you going next uh i'm off to chucklefish to help with their marketing needs and publishing and producing that kind of thing friends friends of the podcast yeah um so i mean how do you feel about about moving on again from from moving on from here well 
it's, uh, I don't know. It's, so I'm with Attention Seekers at the moment because uh-huh. uh, we've not mentioned that. I'm an account manager here. That's <laughs> true. Um, so I do a lot of like strategy and rebranding and work with EA very, very closely. Um, and it's strange because, I mean, Attention Seekers are quite a premium uh, premium service, I suppose. So we only get in like, uh, clients that can afford it, uh, which means yep. we're limited to Xbox, EA, blah, blah, blah. Um, and if you can't afford it, then you would go to another agency. And I never get to see those cool little projects that are off somewhere else. Yeah. Um, sometimes they come through the door and I'm like, wow, that's super exciting. And then they come back to us when we give them a quote and it's like, uh, don't think it's going to work out here kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's never usually like the creative. Um, it's always money. But it means that uh, I don't get to see cool things. And given like my history with Binding of Isaac and I really like pixel art games. Um, I've complete, I don't play FPS anymore. I've stopped playing FPS completely. Occasionally I will play Apex um, because of work. I'm working with EA. Um, but largely speaking, I'll play, um, so I'm playing like at the moment running through Baba is You, which is a wonderful oh, game. Oh yeah, man, so good, yeah. Um, what have I else been playing? It's just, basically it's a bunch of like cute indies. So have your tastes changed to? Completely shifted as I've gotten older. Completely. Uh-huh. Um, I I don't even think I look at AAA games anymore unless it's for work. And because it's such an intense, like, you're looking at these things all day, so you go home and you want to play something that's a little bit cuter. Um, so for me, it's kind of really exciting to basically go work with games that I enjoy playing. And knowing that I'm not a sort of cog in a machine almost... Uh, and if it is, it's like a tiny machine, and it you know you need to be there because um, I've I've had a I mean I've been interviewing for a while for different people because um, I knew I wanted to move on from attention seekers to go work at a publisher or developer, um, okay. which they were aware of as well. Um, and initially, Chucklefish did not have a role. They were like, "There's nothing open here. We're looking for a junior marketer." Um, and it wasn't until I basically kept poking them and saying, "Like, look, I've because I, I I came in for a sort of." chat with them and uh, I've known the team for a while like maybe a year and a bit um, oh, okay because I go there for parties and things they're really yep. like hospitable with um, their events and everything they run um, they're, they're just like great for the indie community they're obviously really great people make great things um, and I knew as soon as as soon as they came up as like an option which only was an option because I was a pestering them so much um, which isn't to say that you should go harass your favourite indie developer <laughs> and publisher um, but yeah that seems to have seems to be how I've gotten my jobs is that I've sort of like found somewhere that I know I want to work with and kind of asked them inquired and sent them over stuff that is relevant to them uh, yeah I accident I mean the interview for Chucklefish was kind of accidental though okay so um, I, they basically they had a, a person leave um, yes. recently that had a role that didn't necessarily match up with their uh, their responsibilities. Right. So, because they're they're not too fussed about like naming conventions over there, and I don't think most people should be, to be honest. Mm. Um, but mm. as a result, I kind of misunderstood what was available yeah so i contacted them and said look um i've just seen this person's leaving um how about uh, like are you looking to replace them can i can i come talk um and they were like yeah sure cool so i came in and interviewed for an office management role 
<laughs> I didn't know I was interviewing for an office management role. <laughs> they didn't know that I didn't know that. So it was really awkward. But like right. during yeah. that interview, it was like very apparent that this place felt so comfortable and so right. And mm -hmm. uh, I could see a couple of the projects they were working on and just like, so instantly I was like just really excited. Um, yeah. And it's been a long time um, since I've, looked at like someone else's work and gone wow that's incredible i want to help how can i help mm. um because i've been working with AAA's for so such a long time that even if you do help them like they're going to survive without you they'll be perfectly fine they've got money and people and resource yeah. whereas i know i can make a difference over at chocolatefish uh and the person that interviewed me obviously basically it was just mixed wires and I left and I messaged her saying like, hey, uh, maybe like, how did it go? What do you think? Maybe is there room for us to be talking? And she's like, oh, well actually, and then pointed out the mistake. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize that. I'm very sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, and she's like, we don't have a role open for you. Um, it just doesn't exist, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, and during that time I'd gotten my hopes up because I was like, I've never, I've never been in an interview where I feel so comfortable and I'm really excited about what they're doing just mm. it felt so comfortable i can't yeah that's the best way to explain it um something i've heard a lot from people when i've done the video series with chocolate like talking about their interviews and, and they said it's just this really comfortable environment where you feel you can just you know you're not putting on a, a pretense you can just get out what you're actually about and, and not feel yeah yeah it was nice and supportive and just yeah it was great um but I felt I'd, I thought I'd kick myself. Basically, I messaged her back a couple of weeks later, saying, "Look, look, I'm gonna kick myself if I don't keep trying because something like I can't let this go. It felt right. I got on with you guys. Um, I'm really passionate about the kind of things that you make. Please give me a chance." Um, and she was like, oh, "I'm going on holiday for the next couple of weeks, but I'll get back to you then." And then nothing came of it, and I didn't hear about anything. Uh, I followed up and nothing it's like oh god maybe i've maybe i'm just i sound really desperate and like pathetic so i was like stewing over it and obviously you get a bit anxious about like being annoying um uh so i messaged the ceo and he's very hands-off with finn's very hands-off with um hiring because um he's got a lot to do anyway he's got a ton to do it's not really his expertise um he's also got like a lot of friends and i imagine this happens quite a lot regardless of what kind of business you own is like hey can you get me a job uh -huh. And I've known Finn for a while and we, we talk just, we never talk shop. We talk about like games and stupid st personal stuff and whatever. Uh, and I was like, I'm really sorry. I don't, ha I hate bringing business into our chat, but like, did, did your colleague say anything about me joining? And he goes, give me 10 minutes. And uh, he's like, okay, this, this person's on holiday, but um, we've written down everything we need uh, support wise. And actually we've gone from figuring out if we need a junior because we couldn't find a junior to play your role um, to realizing we need two senior people. I was like, oh, okay, that poor junior had they been hired. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so they hired a guy I used to work with at Gfinity uh, to do graphics for them. And then they were like, come in for a chat. Can you come tomorrow? And I was like, oh, I've got, I've got work. Yeah, I can come in. Like, I can just sneak out here, it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then they offered me the job on that day and it was just ugh, it was so lovely. And like, mm. that was a couple of weeks ago. And now I'm like, ready to kick off and um, um, seeing all the projects that they're working on is making me super excited because I'm part of their um, team discussions already right uh, and like finishing up at Attention Seekers and like have a really great time here and like the team are amazing as well
So that's kind of sad, but the flip side of that is I'm probably going to go work on like something like, like a dream job almost, to me at least. Thank you.